2: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. Now, Federal has come out with a new turkey load called the Heavyweight TSS or the Heavyweight Tungsten Super Shot. Now, this is a tungsten alloy material and it's 18 grams per cubic centimeter density. Now what this means is it is it's 22% higher than standard tungsten and 56% higher than lead. So it is a a very dense material and it has the ability to travel at high velocities and continue that velocity at longer distances. It has deadly patterning and it also has something called flight control flex and that is when that rear braking wad performs flawlessly through ported and standard turkey chokes so if you want to find out more information about the heavyweight tungsten super shot visit federalpremium.com and while you're there don't forget to check out their podcast and their blogs tons of great content
1: my name is clay newcomb and i'm the host of the bear honey magazine podcast I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of the North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear.
3: Hey
1: guys, I hope that uh, your quarantine time has been productive for you i hope that uh you've got a job and i hope that everything's going well i hope that you're getting out to do some spring bear hunting some of the some of the states are opening back up and some of you guys that are residents in states that have seasons i hope that you've had some time to get into some wild places chasing bear um hey this podcast i'm with my good friends justin and becca spring they are very interesting people. Justin is the director of records for the Boone and Crockett Club. And on this podcast, we talk about a lot of just general fun stuff about where they live up in Montana and some of the big game stuff up in Montana. But Justin also tells us about his recent trip to hunt muskox in none of it, Super interesting story. And... Justin and I have a good conversation about Boone and Crockett's stance of using technology with hound hunting entries for Boone and Crockett. So, super interesting podcast with some really hospitable, genuine, and super people that I call my friends Justin and Becca Spring. Be sure to check out all the new products at Bear. HyphenHunting.com, hunting.com our website and check out our new sheep hunter the south shirts and uh, we've got a lot of new t-shirt designs we've got some DVDs that are on sale we've got bear dog bear grease flashy mule bear hunter hats we've got a lot of cool merch check it out and, uh, and hey while you're there check out a subscription to bear hunting magazine we're the only bear hunting magazine in the world And uh, you can get $5 off a one-year subscription by using the code BHM20. So check it out. And, hey, want to give a hat tip to our buddies at W Hunting Supply, Northwoods Bear Products, and our buddies at the Western Bear Foundation. You're going to enjoy this podcast with Justin and Becca Springer. I am with Justin and Becca Spring. They were on the podcast last year, and we learned that Becca punched a bear in the face. And we heard about uh, a lot of you guys hunting adventures. Um, You guys do a lot of traveling and hunting. But, uh, But Justin works for Boone and Crockett. Justin is the director of records for the Boone and Crockett Club. You know, that podcast we did last year, I thought it was really good. We we described what the Boone and Crockett Club was and all this stuff cuz a lot of people I don't I don't think really even understand it but man you eat live and breathe Boone and Crockett don't you?
4: Yep, that's. That's
1: what they pay me to do. <laughs> that's what they pay you to do. No. No, it's it's awesome to have you guys on. So I want to talk about a little bit of uh, a little bit of you guys adventures the last couple of years. So um they're not a couple of years, this last fall. So you guys are here in Western Montana and you're, what's your, Becca, what's your favorite thing to hunt locally?
3: Oh man. Um, it's fun to be able to take the kid out just out the backyard, right? And yeah. there's, we got turkeys and grouse and got deer and elk and bears are just kind of all right here. So that's pretty fun. Um, but I guess deer, we're just, we're lucky to have these mountain whitetails. Yeah. They're just an absolute blast to hunt. And I think they're kind of an untapped resource. We have a lot yeah. of fun rattling them late and then uh, calling them. And it's just, yeah, they're just a lot of fun and they're delicious. So yes, nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the numbers of game up here is just astounding to me. The variety. I mean, I guess that's the West though, isn't it?
4: Yeah. I mean, Montana does a real good job of, of, of game populations and, you know, it's, it's notable. We've got friends from a lot of States, you know, I went to high school with in college that, that, that romanticized, they'll come to Montana and hunt. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's good. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, we don't, the it's an opportunity state for sure. Um, and that's a fine thing, you know, it, it's, yeah. there, there's areas that we have some pretty good mule deer and elk, not locally, but this is just a, you know, a numbers game, and you're hunting mature animals, but they're not the biggest in the world, but man, the the country and the people, everything's awesome. Describe
1: to me what an opportunity state means. I'm not, a lot of people will be familiar with that terminology, but...
4: Yeah, so basically, when you, when the states are kind of developing their game management strategy, um, you know, they're working for the the public, and so they do research, and they figure out, what does the public want? Um, Some states people are okay waiting 10-15 years for that opportunity to hunt because they want that that top-end mature animal. Um, other states, the majority of the licensed buyers and the hunters are just looking for an opportunity. You know, of course, they'd love to shoot a big buck or a big bull every year, but when it really comes down to it, they want the opportunity to go hunting every year. And yeah. so, that's that's a management strategy that the state will put in. Yeah. Um, you know, what there, would be some examples... Uh, you, you know the
1: other thing too aside from big animals so if there's limited number of hunters coming into a state for elk or whatever in a certain region so if it's a draw region and it's a super coveted tag that means less animals are being taken out it's more being more strategically managed for big, bigger animals better animals but to me I think the experience that's a plus is less people Yeah. You know, last year for the first time ever we elk hunted my son, Bear, and I, in what state do you think we went to? Colorado. You knew that already. <laughs> you <cheated. laughs>
4: But you would have guessed that right, anyway. Right.
1: Because Colorado is an opportunity state. I think they give out like 60,000 over-the-counter elk tags, yep. something ridiculous. And there's benefits in that because Bear and Clay Newcomb can wake up on like August 20th and go, you know what? Let's go elk hunting in three weeks and go elk hunting. But these draw permits that um, for these coveted regions are uh, are really cool. I think because less people, mm-hmm. you know. But there's still some. But even op- Montana being an opportunity state,
4: non-resident big game stuff is pretty tight, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a. As a non-resident, you have to draw the general tag. Whereas a resident, we can buy it over the counter. And can so- you buy a, a tag? not in any any zone though Montana is for a resident i mean there's there's a very few number of limited permits okay. for for the most part the west side you have to declare the mule deer unit you want to hunt and that's a guaranteed draw which seems impossible but you just have to declare i am going to hunt unit blank 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 <laughs> Do you go
1: out on your front porch and like declare it? Like,
4: yeah, yeah. I declare that I will hunt in Unit Seventeen, and uh, wh- and the fish and wildlife drones pick it up, right. Record it exactly, exactly. No, they. Uh, and when you get a mule deer permit on the west side, you can't hunt anywhere else. We don't okay. usually put in for permits. Um, there's enough general units, which is the east side of the state, that we yeah. really like to. That's where we spend our time. Yeah, um, but it, you know, it, it helps. Um, distribute hunters out there you you know that's so foreign to eastern
1: hunters i mean we understand it because now you know for for long enough the east has been integrated into western hunting just through media and guys are traveling out but man we got a lot simpler system down in arkansas buddy (laughs) anybody can come and buy any tag they want and uh, any resident can pay 25 dollars and hunt anything we got but we don't have big elk we don't have yeah Well, you
4: know, the other thing too is, I mean, they're, they're, they're habitat limited. You know, we were hunting migratory animals. Um, Okay. You know, it has to
1: be managed different.
4: Yeah. uh, The, the, the whitetail tactics from the East are very successful. That deer has a home range. You can pin them, you know, here we're not trail cameras. If they were even legal out here, which they're not, if there's an open season, wouldn't do us much good Mm. because that, that deer could be, or that elk could be moving miles depending on the season. So when we're scouting, you know, we're saying, okay, well, right now they're in their summer range, but we're, they could be 10 miles away from, you know, usually not that far, but it's a migratory animal. So we know our spots aren't necessarily hunting a particular animal. We're saying. Okay, at this elevation, at this time, with this forage, with this amount of snow, this is going to be the area that's going to congregate whatever you know type of critter we're looking for. So yeah. it's it's a different different world, and you know you can you can come out here, and if you don't, you're not right on the migration or where the critters are. You could be in some of the best elk country in the state and not see an elk if you're a week early or a week late. Yeah, amazing. You know what I noticed being out here,
1: and this is an obscure observation, but carcasses of dead critters (laughs) really everywhere that i've been in in there you know there's like elk carcasses mule deer carcasses and when you have big populations of big game predators are killing them yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff you know there's a vibrant cycle of life out here you know um, I don't know why I noticed that but uh, it, it seems like every time I got out of the truck there would you know you'd walk I mean it wasn't human induced stuff I don't think I mean it was like it appeared to be natural but uh, just you know big an, these animal populations are so they're, they're they fluctuate they're vibrant predators are alive and well in Montana big time wolves bears lions I mean like right here I mean that's pretty amazing to me.
4: Yeah, we've had we've had all all of them. We've had bears on the porch. We had a I don't know if we told you about the mountain lion that killed a pup coyote and it was a mom and a and a cub lion, well, second year and they were vocalizing. She actually heard the chirping and whatnot from our deck really? of, of this this uh, mom lion teaching her baby how to kill a coyote pup and then the mom coyote was howling and I mean this was all happening right in our yard and we're not, you know, we're not that far away from a pretty big population center of Missoula. You know, we're only 30 miles out. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, yeah. it, you think about it a little bit with the kid out by himself, but you're not preventing them from going out there. It's just, yeah. they're here. We're here. And we, you know, coexist, I guess. I mean, this, yeah. you have a lot of people that don't necessarily understand this dynamic and, and, we don't hate them. We don't want them all dead, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to leave them unchecked. So that's kind of where we stand on it. Living right in the middle of a predator hotspot, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah.
3: It is interesting too. We've actually here just up nine mile here. Um, there's actually it was like just self reintroduction reintrodu- of wolves. They just naturally moved they down from back down in. from Canada. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting too that they I mean they're kind of always here. Probably.
1: Well, let's let's talk about that because that so in the. In the lower 48, there's been all this controversy of, you know, the reintroduction of Yellowstone wolves. We don't have to get into all that. But the idea is that these wolves from Canada were brought down here and reintroduced back in. And and perhaps it was a different kind of wolf. That's what people say. What you're saying is that nobody reintroduced these wolves. These wolves came themselves down from Canada, and they know that from genetic research. That's not just anecdotal observation.
3: Well, as well as observational history from people who've lived in the area the whole life too. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a good book out there, uh, Nine Mile Wolves by Rick Bass. uh, Oh, really? Nine
1: Mile Wolves by Rick Bass. Huh. Yeah, that's amazing. I've yet to see a wolf up here. I've yet to see a wolf. I'm waiting. I have yet to hear one howl. You know, I've never heard a wolf out. in all the times I've spent in Canada, Alaska, here, I've never heard a wolf out. It may be, though, because I've been sleeping on my left ear and I can't hear <laughs> out of my right ear. Maybe that's it.
4: Yeah, we uh, well, we did a bear hunt in southeast Alaska. And, and a friend of mine that's up there, another official major for the club, that's a a commercial fisherman, is a wolf trapper, and he hunts them. And listened to him howl, like, kind of— keyed us in on it now i've never heard one just out and about but um you know we were we were on a deer hunt uh not not far from the house and had a buck get away from us and had a buddy with me and there was fresh wolf tracks and so we walked it and we get to the end of the trail and like okay well we're not going to turn this buck up you know we're five miles in or whatever and uh you know i was like well let's give these wolves a howl and see if we can get them and you know tried to emulate what he'd done and as soon as I get done, how my buddy looks. He's like, that ever worked for you? I go, no. Well, right when I said that, the whole drainage we were in just blows up. We were surrounded by a pack of wolves. No way. And it was it was pretty cool, you know. And it was wolf season, so we were getting our guns ready. And I think we actually spooked <laughs> them. we freaked out. They were pretty darn close to us. Mm. And they heard us, like, hyperventilating and trying to get guns ready and everything. And they had one line of timber that they could walk that we couldn't see them, basically, to get out of this drainage. And you heard them go right up and over the top. So they're around, you know, it's yeah. it's cool too. and But even then, I mean, we've seen a couple in season briefly. Um, we've got pictures of a good white one out, same area. We were spring bear hunting, you know, there was still some snow on the north side and we found a fresh wolf track and we're like, yeah, we'll just walk this out. And sure enough, we got photos of this you know, white wolf maybe two hundred, two hundred and fifty 250 yards so wow. they're around but it's not yeah. it's not predictable i couldn't say oh you want to see a wolf go here and do this right right but there you come across them it's and pretty you can cool. hunt them in montana yep got it you have
1: to have a got to have a wolf tag got
4: to have a wolf tag they're 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 montana's pretty proud of their non-resident um tag so it's pretty yeah. expensive um for us i don't know what we're paying but we can shoot up to five shoot or trap up to five a year no way yeah which i guess technically, does anybody kill them yeah. Just opportunistic hunters. There's a few people that have that have done the work and figured out, you know, that they can call them. Um, okay. You know, the Idaho side, I mean, it was, what was it? An old fire siren that you'd crank. It, you know, it's like a shot gobble of a turkey. You can make a wolf howl, um, But there's guys that, and gals, that uh, have kind of chosen to, to concentrate on wolves, and they're successful yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I know there's a lot of
1: successful wolf trappers in Idaho. I've never heard of anybody, not to say there's not, but somebody that was like, got good at hunting them.
4: Yeah. And well, I mean, that, that Besides Becca. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. Becca could. <laughs> Put him in a headlock. Have you ever bring him a home? wolf, Becca?
3: <laughs> no, I'll work on that. <laughs>
1: but she'd probably stab a wolf rather than punch it. I think okay. a bear, you know, you could punch
4: a wolf, probably stab him. <laughs> Well, bears generally politer than a wolf. No doubt. I mean the, they're you know, they they, they kind of keep their distance. Usually they don't show up uninvited or a wolf well if you yeah, know.
1: Yeah. As we know from the story of the three little pigs. Right,
4: exactly. Yeah, not yeah. not a polite animal. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> now it's fascinating to me. You know, there's such a like f- for someone who does not have wolves in their state, which historically it, there were wolves that ranged across as far as I know all of the lower 48. I mean, for sure in Arkansas, the historical literature in Arkansas, these guys that were making journals in the early 1800s that were hunting and trapping, they talked about wolves constantly. And that people need to, like people in the East or, or wherever they're in their state, they ought to go back and read the literature of people that were in places that they know. There's something about reading a story that came from, I mean like the the one guy I'm thinking of Frederick Gerstrucker, he was hunting twenty five miles from my house, and so you can just envision what he was seeing, and you're like he was right here, and he's talking about killing mountain lions, wolves howling, you know, and it just it kind of puts it in perspective like a like a you know you kind of get this like a little bit richer, a little bit deeper understanding of big game on this continent kind of before a lot of different stuff happened yeah but so i say all that to say wolves are like this almost like mythical creature so it's i love it i absolutely love it but it's still kind of amazing to me that you can kill five wolves in montana yeah that's awesome yeah why wouldn't you
4: they don't I, there's no I'm good not, answer i'm not sure how they taste <laughs> <laughs> like, at, at the end of we'll the day Back it, 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 that, that's really i mean for us our season starts early too you know with with western hunts i mean you can start <coughs> hunting pronghorn in august you can hunt deer in california in july you know i'm not gonna lie our season runs through the end of november we hit thanksgiving time we're kind of done you yeah. know it's you've been going hard going hard in the pain all season and then that's kind of when the wolf hunting really gets going is in the winter. Yeah, yeah. And it's every year I have this intention that we're going to get out and we're going to go do the research. You know, we know the areas that they're living. We know where we could find them, but figure out how to hunt them. And you hit that point and you're just kind of like, man, I need I need a breather. Let's go yeah. catch some fish through the ice and sit in a little ice shack yeah, or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's so, such a brutal time of year up here.
4: Yeah, it, it can be and you're always chasing that fresh snow. You know, you, you don't want it to be snowing hard because that's going to cover the tracks, but you don't want it to be, you know, a week since the snowstorm since you can't, I mean, you can tell, but it's it's harder to distinguish the fresh tracks. So, you know, the same with the lion hunting. I mean, you want that snow on yeah. Thursday that finishes up on Friday evening, ideally, and then you're hitting a fresh canvas Saturday morning and, you know, trying to schedule that with the outdoor shows that I do for work and then all that. It just, it never seems to come together yeah. that we get to get out there and give it a, an effort that I feel is, you know, yeah what we'd call it consider a solid effort i mean yeah we can go for a drive and look for some tracks but
1: you're yeah.
4: killing time you're not really hunting yeah well uh justin you uh went on a muskox hunt last
1: year i did um there's a man what a what a beast tell us so you don't have to go into all the details because i know some of it wasn't the best uh i mean just in terms of the yeah tell me a little bit about that hunt
4: So, uh, I was invited to go along on it. It's, I have only ever done one other guided hunt. That's not, you know, it's not something that we do, not that we're against it or anything. It's just, you know, price wise, we can do a lot more on our own. Yeah. Uh, but this was an opportunity I was asked to go along and it was a pretty cool deal. It was a combination, uh, muskox, caribou in the fall. So the, the weather was, you know, 32 degrees and rain and snow. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't what you see where you're going out, you know, on the sleds, Forty below, where you need the you know the specialty gear. It's a it's a fall hunt. Um, So what time of year? What September? Yeah, it was at the very end of August,
1: September, I believe. So up up there, and you were in none of it.
4: Correct. Yeah, we we flew into Baker Lake. So none of
1: it, none of it is a Canadian province. I find that people don't know their Canadian geography very well.
4: Yeah, it's Um, a big one too. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's it's a lot of that. You know, um, well, I mean, we flew we flew up past Hudson Bay. Which I guess as a kid, you read about Hudson Bay and that's like where the polar bears are. Yeah. And the thought that like I was flying over polar bears was pretty cool to even start the whole deal. Like yeah. I was, I was glued to that plane window and it turns out you can't see a polar bear from, <laughs> from 30,000 feet, even though it was clear, but I was looking hard. Uh. But uh, yeah, we got up there. We we're supposed to go, <clears throat> excuse me, you're we supposed to go out to a camp and there was a, uh, oh, tropical storm, I don't remember, hurricane, what was going on, but some some major weather event was sucking all that cold air out of the north, and so it was blowing 50, mm. and uh, the lake was all chopped up, and we were supposed to go by boat, and it just didn't work out, and, you know, the camp ended up kind of getting flattened that we were supposed to go to, so we were able to talked to the local fishing game and they confirmed that our you know outfitter the area that he was permitted to to operate in happened to be you know town was there we had to go a certain direction and then two of the guides were in town that technically were under his umbrella so we were checked off we were legal and able to uh, talk to the locals which was awesome we got on their local facebook page and um, negotiated the local, none of it. Facebook page. Oh yeah, and nego- they've got one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> local, uh, you know, negotiated rental of their ATVs. Um, you know, I, I don't. I think we paid three hundred bucks for the week to rent their ATVs from them, which you know, on a hunt like that, kind of saved our bacon. But um, you know, it's the guys that were supposed to be on the hunt with me. Um, a couple of them hadn't ridden four wheelers a lot. And so then we were trying to buy helmets because they weren't comfortable riding without helmets, and um, it, you know <laughs> it, it it sounded horrible, but at the same time, I guess for me, we we ended up making it happen. Yeah, you know, a lot of it goes to the guy that invited me to go. I mean, he's a go getter. He's a he's a former ranger, and he's mm-hmm. used to finding a mission and getting it done. And that mentality went a long yeah, yeah. ways. And and so yeah, we ended up ended up striking out from town, and you know, I killed killed my musk ox right about dark, and you know, it's pretty late up there. Um, packed it up, got it on the ATVs, we, you know, bounced our way back in, and there's a... Hold on, let me stop
1: you. So, how far from... So, okay, you don't have to name the town. How big was the town? I mean, like, how many humans were in the town? I
4: couldn't tell you, but it, I mean, it's a... Small. Ma- but it's an interior community, which for that area, you've got the the people that live on the ocean and are you're eating I seal and narwhal. Been, would it would have
1: been like, 10,000 people? No. Okay, Maybe 2,000. Like
3: 2,000, 2,
1: two, okay. yeah. Okay, so a town of 2,000. Surrounded by like tundra? Yep, yep. Like where you could just see, is it one
4: of these places where you can just see for like rolling miles? If you get up high, you can see for ways, but it's, I mean, there's still drainages. There's not, there's not trees. Okay, you no know, trees. They, they'd refer to it like you were asking them, okay, well, how far up this river have you gone? Well, I've gone to the trees, like that's that's a a landmark. Is you could follow this river to the trees, and then you'd hit that boreal forest. But where we were was wide open um, tundra. Okay, there, you know, if you see none of it, you see their flag. I'll, I'll show you later. You know, when next time, you know, we've got some time. But their flag is actually a little pile of rocks. And what they did was they used these little pile of rocks the caribou would see it on a ridge and then it would turn them so they could direct the caribou. Mm. And their entire culture was, they, they call themselves the caribou people. And so mm. they, they, you know, we, we killed it and uh, the, the, we got one Hold caribou. On. Sorry, you're no, 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 getting no. off track here. No, but. no, no,
1: you're, you're on a cool track. I saw the flag.
4: Okay, okay.
1: So they so the, 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 the symbol of the Nunavut flag is a stack of rocks. And so what these caribou people would do Native people, when they were hunting these caribou, they would have rock stacks that would act as decoy humans. right? And then, I mean, this is something that presumably they've been doing for... Millennia. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool.
4: Yeah. It always, and,
1: and what's cool to me is that the uh, they've been hunting those caribou so long, those caribou recognize anything vertical and about that thick, quote unquote, is a predator. Right. One of those dang humans
4: yeah and, and
1: that's pretty sweet
4: yeah and they their their whole culture i mean it was we watched them like we we killed this we killed one caribou they weren't um you know first off they don't they don't hunt they catch like the okay. the the guy that we hunted with the guide was i mean he he'd harpooned a narwhal and you know shot seals and like he was a um he killed a, a barren gown grizzly that winter that's how he made his money he was a hunter there's grizz and none of it yeah there's barren ground grizzly bear. Really? And when I when we got my musk ox, it was last light, and there was three of us there, and one of us was kinda on grizzly watch okay and we never saw one but um we had a we had a wolverine come right up to the kill site which was one of the coolest experiences you can have i mean we're sitting there working a muskox up and we see something moving in the rocks and we've got it filmed and it's a it's a wolverine I'll be and like hollered at him and he stood up and looked at us He's and waiting for you to leave yeah i mean there was there was foxes there it was dark i mean our headlights were shining and you could see like fox eyes in the rocks and that wolverine was there and they were they were waiting it's a it's a rough lifestyle up there and they knew there was going to be a, a carcass a, a gut pile that they could work over and they were just standing back as polite as could be waiting for us to finish up yeah so you said they the
1: the natives ask if you caught something right they're like did you catch a muskox did you yeah. catch a caribou right and down here we know that when people say that they don't know what they they're not hunters right did you catch a deer no i didn't catch a deer i killed a deer
4: but, but up there, that's what they say. But, but clearly, that's their culture. That's what they do. And so, I'm not one to tell them that <laughs> catching a muskox or catching a caribou is wrong. And so, yeah, it was. It was, and the, the people were um, just over the top, friendly, nice. But they they lived on the land. So we we get the muskox. We come back. The story I was going to tell is we there's an old mine access road. Like there's an access road to a mine that has a couple side shoots where they've done exploratory. And so that's kind of how you access these areas where we hit their trail system Well we hit this hit this gravel mine road we go across the bridge we're beat up you know bouncing across these trails and none of us had spent the amount of time that they do on slowmobile and sled or whatever and uh, four-wheelers so we get back and we're kind of gathering ourselves and getting the load set well look up the whole sky is lit up with northern lights and so that, that I mean, the whole thing, you couldn't really script a better, you know, hunt. And when we saw him, we spotted him from a ways, we were able to sneak in on this muskox. There was a, a younger bull that, uh, you kind of think of the muskox as just, you know, out there doing their thing, not real active. I mean, this bull was goring the tundra with his horns and jumping around and all fired up. And the mm. one I ended up killing was... Now how many did you see all in one group? Um, the, That group, I want to say, was maybe 10, 8 or 10. They were just kind of spread out. They yeah. weren't, like, huddled yeah, up like we, you envisioned them. No, one, of the, <clears> one <throat> of the bulls that the group got was a single. Um, That was the guy that I went with. We spotted a bull all by himself, and, you know, we were sneaking up on him, and he wanted, you know, everybody to be a part of everything and so he's like no no stay right with me and well, we're getting real close to this bull and i was like dude i'm just gonna stay back like you know it's him and the guide you have to yeah. be guided and i go i'm not doing you any good and he's like well i want to range and i was like dude mike we're within 100 yards just put the x on the big part you know it's we're not to the point where at a definitive range with a rifle is really going to make a big deal well i'm wearing a, a tan backpack with gray clothes on and I'm kind of huddled there while well, the sun comes up and the guy, and I didn't know this later, but um, the bull sees me and he starts walking towards me and the guy tells Mike, he's like, you should shoot that muskox or he's going to run Justin over Yeah. because I look like a bull muskox laying there in, oh. the, in, the, in the tundra. You kind of look like a bull muskox anyway. Oh, thanks, Clay. I appreciate that. <laughs> you look like a squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it was a compliment what I was saying to you.
3: He smells way better than a muskox. Um.
4: Yeah. He, he.
1: Does a does a what's the does a
4: muskox see well? I I don't think I think it's probably similar to a bear. Really, you know, okay. people people say old oh, bears can't see well. They can see as good as we can see.
1: That's weird because you would think a a big. I guess they're an, are they an they they're not an ungulate. Are they an ungulate? Are they they're not like a deer? They're, uh, they they're got bovine. a cloven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bovine. Okay. They're bovine. Okay. Well, they they. Um, it just seems like on the tundra site would be like a massive predatory defense
4: yeah we got, I mean, our, we
1: got our resident looker upper <laughs> <us> frantically checking <laughs> on whether we
4: over bus uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I think no, are,
1: so it seems like they would have really good eyes but now when i think about them they they don't necessarily have huge yeah, eyes. yeah the, the skulls on those and are i'm awesome. sure their noses are really good
4: yeah but you know they're like i said it, we the the group I got mine out of. We had some rocks and some kind of ridges and it weren't and, hard to stalk. I mean, it no, wasn't like stalking an antelope. No, and and we we held up. I I can't remember exactly the distance, but it wasn't a far shot. But we first saw him. I mean, we had him at five hundred yards. And again, you know, you just it was very interesting to me because this this guide had guided a few people, but not killed a bunch of muskox. But somebody had told him. That some people wanted to shoot a long ways. Okay, and he asked me, "Is like, is that gun a far shooting gun or a close shooting gun?" <laughs> and I was like, well, "What do you mean?" That's about the way I talk about rifles. <laughs> <laughs> I go, Sam, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, does that shoot far or shoot close? And I was like, Well, it's it can shoot away, Sam, but we got a fifty mile an hour crosswind. Like, let's get closer, and so we get to three hundred and fifty. And he goes. He goes, well, you know, is, is, would you like to get closer? I'm like, well, Sam, can we get closer? Then it's just the way he talked, you know, very matter of fact. He goes, yes. So we stop again. He's like, would you like to get closer? i like, Sam, I'd like to get as close as we can. And then we'll we'll talk about a shot. And he goes, okay. And we got, you know, it was, I mean, it was a rock that was about the perfect height that I laid a pack down on and you're shooting off of a bench. And, you know, I was saying that other bulls gore in the ground and jumping around. Well, this bull's got the cows and he's kind of, he's watching him out of the corner of his eye, but he does, you know, pretending to not pay him any attention, but that had his attention. He was watching this younger bull and, yeah. you know, got the shot and it, it worked out you know, great. Um, yeah. You know,
1: I keep going back to this, Justin. I'm intrigued by these muskocks. Um, You know, their, their defense mechanism would be, you know, like a caribou's defense mechanism is to run.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: An antelope's defense mechanism is to run. The way that you win by running is to run before the thing that's trying to catch you starts to run. Yeah. So they have great eyes so they can like see a wolf and go, okay, boys, Get ahead. the muskox defense is they huddle up like you yeah. see this and so they're ready to defend themselves and they're young not by running but by just your brute no, force brute force you aren't getting through this mm-hmm. so i guess it would make sense to me that they wouldn't necessarily have the the best eyes on the tundra because it's like if a wolf's at 300 yards he's not a threat yeah we're just going to keep eating well and i if was he's inside a you know, if he's inside that zone, then they whoop mm-hmm. circle up. But I'm amazed that they had, weren't killed out by native or, or, or by just humans over the eon. Not killed out, but um, they uh, they weren't into
4: muskox meat. That's where I was getting into. Yeah, they were a caribou people. So anyway, we were talking about this. Now, what I was going to say is, well, you got the muskox, got it out. We all, all got our bulls, but we got one caribou, and he took us to his family caribou camp up this river, which was one of the cooler experiences ever. But the river we were on, like he had the same boat that he used to go chase narwhals and seals was the same boat he was running a river with. Now, you know, I grew up in Oregon. So running a jet boat on a, you know, a, a riffly river isn't a big deal. Well, yeah, you're not running a, you know, basically 18 foot Lund with a prop and we're running in, you know, three feet of water. And he actually stopped at one point to show us how shallow it was. And you could see the look on his face. is like, I didn't think this through because he couldn't get back up to speed. So I'm uh-huh. laying on the front of the boat trying to hold the bow down so he could get up to speed and get us running again, mm. which was cool. And we get to this big rapid and you know he just stops and he goes, we will wait for the other boat here. Many people have died here. <laughs> 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 and he, he doesn't elaborate, you know, and he's a super friendly guy, but like, that's just the way he said things. And all of us are sitting there going like, Oh, many, many people have died here. Okay, this yeah. is... So anyway, we get up there, we kill this caribou, it's last light. We're kind of nervous about getting back down the river, you know, back into town. Did you go tow past the rapid? Oh, yeah, yeah. But the
1: other boat was just better. They,
4: they, they followed us. So Sam, oh, okay. Sam knew the river. So they would just
1: watch you die. He was
4: just... Yeah, he was making sure that, that we were there in case <laughs> Thanks, they, man. they had hey, a problem. Hey, if we die, just watch, just watch it and yeah. just let people know that we didn't make it. Right. So get this caribou and you know we're, we're taking care of it and all of us are in there we're all hunted quite a bit so we're trying to help well mike goes to get this caribou and sam just shoots him this look and i'm elbowing him I'm like no 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 and mike's like i'm just trying to help i'm like uh, we're all trying to help but he sam's really into that take just and he's like oh i gotcha gotcha so we finish skinning it out well sam goes to get the thing and the first thing he does he opens it up he reaches and he pulls out the kidney and there's mm-hmm. a lining you know a, a, like a sinewy or a tissue lining around it that he peels it off. He takes his knife and he cuts a dollar bill size out of the stomach, just the paunch. Doesn't mm. doesn't wipe it off nothing. Takes that paunch, wraps it around the kidney, and eats the whole kidney. And a caribou kidney is mm. giant. And I'm a pretty adventurous eater. I, I feel like I'd try yes. about it when they didn't wash off the, the paunch. I was like, mm, no. <laughs> and so, and then he that's eats- That's where Justin <laughs> Blaine is. <laughs> yeah. You got to at least wash the grain off. So then he does the same thing with the other kidney. And, you know, thinking about it, I mean, if there are caribou people, that's their, that's their vitamins. You know, we get veggies and we mix everything up. Yeah. Well, that's why they would crave, you know, the organ meat is there's mm. so much in there that the caribou have, have turned from the tundra, you know- lichens and what they're eating on the tundra of the grasses I mean that's yeah. how they got the minerals and he still craved that that was the best tasting thing in the world you know and we we get back they had the bones he he ended up inviting us over to his house to try caribou and narwhal which you know you can't import it or anything but they were eating it and like it was a a frozen chunk of narwhal blubber that they marinated in some soy sauce and onions and it was kind of a communal dish and wow. uh yeah, we got to try Narwhal, and it wasn't, it wasn't disgusting by any means. I feel like you could find the baldest tire you could, and then slow cook it for a couple days, and then put it in soy sauce and onion. You'd have a similar experience, but it was, <laughs> it was a pretty cool deal. And they they had the bones sitting on the floor, and I was like, well, "What are you guys going to do? Are you going to turn that into broth, or what are you doing?" And they're like, "Oh no, we crack those open and put the marrow on our toast instead of butter. It's better than butter." Mm. And so it was. It was just. They awesome. use every I mean, part the, of the caribou. The, they made us some bannock biscuits, just a you know a simple biscuit cooked in seal oil, which you know it was. I mean, similar to bear fat, bear grease. I mean, it didn't have a real strong flavor or anything. It was just a a super simple biscuit. The uh, caribou they served us was um, wouldn't be something similar to, like this similar to what we'd do. It was some veggies stir fried with some caribou, and then they'd kind of made a pan gravy out of it. Yeah. And it was, you know, and, and seeing, you know, that's what, what they did, what they ate. And Sam was, you know, his kids were there over the top nice. His, his wife was just beyond, you know, accommodating. And um, they lived in kind of a, it was, I don't know if it was government housing or what, but it was kind of an apartment building. But there wasn't doors on any of the apartments. It was just like a sheet over it. And there and was just family, like, oh, that's my sister. So like oh, the floor of that yeah, building. It was and I don't know, I, I mean, I didn't understand, but it turns out like, the four wheelers we'd rented was from some of his family. They actually took really good care of their stuff. Those are the best looking ones we'd seen. So it was his sister who needed the four wheeler back because she had to go to work and that's how she got to work, but she'd Mm -hmm. rented us to it. So, I mean, yeah, like the, the plan kind of fell apart, but it turned into one of the best cultural experiences and hunts you could go on like everything. And of course, you know, I got, we all got nice muskox and big muskox. I mean, three of the four actually qualify for B and C, which isn't what you're looking for, but I mean, just doing that like that's that's better than a stick in the air. right? So, it was it was all a real wow. cool experience. Wow, that really is golly.
1: You know, I was thinking about when you were describing kind of the hunting culture of these people. You know, there's no we can't make any bones about the fact that we are a sport hunting culture, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing. These like those guys, at least historically, I don't think they're living off caribou like they used to. I mean, you know, they, like, they'd prefer to. Yeah, but if you look back at their culture, the last you know th- thousands of years, I mean, that wasn't for fun. No, you know that they, they were killing caribou. It was for. I mean, it was essentially them their their farming, their cattle, their you know the things that we would associate. I mean, it was work.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And and so they, they look at it totally different. They look at the hunt totally different. And the, the cool thing, and I think a lot of people wouldn't under, understand the term sport hunting, but sport hunting, recreational hunting, is actually a big part of what saved North American wildlife is we quit using them for, you know, we took away their market value. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have, you couldn't kill them and sell them. That's a good thing if you want wildlife on a landscape. And we don't... Now, certain small groups of people do utilize wildlife meat like us, our families, your family, a lot of people that listen to this. I mean, we use a ton of wild game, but we don't live off of it.
4: We don't have to. We don't have to. It's a choice we actively make. We find it healthier. We take great pride in doing it, but it's not... At the end of the day if, if I don't pull the trigger on a on a bear in the spring or a, a, an elk in the fall I, there's not an actual concern that that we're not going to make it. we just yeah. you know don't don't buy as many bear hunter t-shirts and spend that money on you know expensive beef at the store we can do that and still be yeah. fine yeah it, it, it seems like uh
1: like these native guides like wherever in the world they were when they interact with a with people from america or the west or you know that are that are sport hunters there's always this kind of like tensions maybe not the yeah, right word yeah. but just like uh, they don't understand why it, you would want to do certain things a certain yeah. way
4: well it was funny you bring that up when we saw this caribou it was a single bull that we spotted from the river and uh, there's three of us in the boat that all had a caribou tag. Well, they, you know, Mike had let me shoot first on the musk ox. and so clearly I'm like, I'm out. You know, that that's it's between you and the other guy that we're, we're in the boat, and you know, Mike had put in a bunch of effort to get us these four wheelers and kind of made it happen. And the other guy that was with us was like, No, no, Mike, you go ahead. This is, you know, you giving you rights. And as we're kind of discussing it, it didn't take long. I mean, it wasn't like an argument or anything, but just kind of figuring out you know nobody wanted to step on anybody's toes and and be polite and sam looks at it and goes i don't care who shoots it just somebody go shoot it yeah. i'm hungry yeah yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah yeah i need some kidney and pot. <laughs> yeah like come on guys yeah so and it was like i said and he did an amazing job cuz he you know he read us and he saw what we wanted from the experience and, yeah. and he got the caribou meat you know i mean you could see right away it's like no nah, this is you know yeah. this is all you and then they were you know, he didn't care who shot it. It was, but they had caribou and you know, it was, it was a pretty cool deal. Yeah.
1: Man, what a neat experience. Yeah. Golly. Musk ox. I think they're one of the neatest looking of all the North American big game. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would love to, I would love to hunt muskox. I, um, they're incredible animals. Incredible animals. Um, Justin, we talked about earlier, um, Let's 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 switch gears a little bit and talk about some hound stuff. Um, so for so the Boone and Crockett record system, record keeping system, mm-hmm. has well, first of all, Boone and Crockett was the uh, I mean they were the people that started talking about fair chase. I mean back in the late 1800s. I mean, th- where did the term? Would you say that Boone and Crockett, Roosevelt, those guys were the ones that
4: crafted that term, or was that there before? It, it was, it's very interesting if you look, there was, there was a, 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 a an ethics system of hunting that, that kind of came over from Europe. It okay. was, it was a class thing back in, and, 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 you know, the trophy side of things that the quality of the estate, you know, you, you, would you'd hang up your, your Sika deer or whatever it was because the quality of your game showed the quality of your estate, but there was a class. You didn't just kill everything, you know? Well, when, when they came over here, there was still, there was the right way to do it. And, and there was, you know, it was a, I mean, it was a, the better off sportsman that had the fine shotguns and whatnot. And, you know, this whole idea that there was an unlimited resource clearly wasn't the case. And so it was starting to be talked about and there was different classes of hunters, but what Boone and Crockett did and through, um, forest and stream and, and George Bird Grinnell, which was, you know, one of our main founders, they, they popularized the idea of, 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 fair chase and self-limitation, you know, and, and you look at the original tenants as like, there was things you didn't do. You know, they, they called it jack lighting spotlighting today. They'd, you know, they'd use lanterns and they could see deer eyes and they'd float rivers and shoot them. Well, that, that clearly wasn't a fair deal or you wouldn't, you yeah. know, it, it wasn't right. And so they, they popularized it. And, um, you know, reading these early writers, they, the term, um, you mentioned, you know, Reading about somebody hunting, you know, close to your home, and, and imagining yeah. this. Um, there's a guy, Dal DeWeese, who was a writer that went to Alaska and uh, actually hunted a lake that I was fortunate enough to be able to go and hunt. And he, reading his description, he shot, a, he shot a second moose. And in his article, he's almost apologizing to the people reading the article, you're going to call me a game hog for killing two moose in my lifetime. Well, the second moose he killed was actually the largest moose ever killed in the world at the time. Mm. And so even then, they... When, were, when was that? Early 1900s. The, um, okay. So
1: he, was, he wasn't apologizing for killing two moose in the same year.
4: Oh, in a lifetime, you're wow. going to, he, he says in his article, you're going to call me a game hog. And so wow. it, at the time that was, that was how the, the classy hunters, the writers, the, the upper echelon of the hunting community would go out. Mm. And they actually, mm. if you read it, they talk, you know, everybody says, Oh, we had to end market hunting. And that was a big thing with, you know, um, the Lacey Act where they dis, disallowed the, the transfer of uh, every, it was illegal to, to market hunt in every state, but, if you could get it over state lines, they weren't able to enforce it. So the Lacey Act said, um, "Game taken, it's 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 a felony, it's a, uh, an offense to take illegally gotten game across the state line," which yeah. is still used today. If somebody poaches and takes it out of state, then they get federal charges through the Lacey Act. So it's a very, very solid wildlife you know management right, law. Right. But anyway, they. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I get, you got me too excited about too many of these things. Lacey, like, man, you could start talking uh, yeah, just no, about the Lacey Act and he like <laughs> hyperventilates. Yeah, so anyway, um, these guys, they 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 made this selective hunting. You couldn't put pressure on the young. You couldn't put pressure on the females for wildlife to recover. And then it kind of, you know, it was self-regulation to start with and we had to get hunters to buy in. Well, then, you know, all the Leopold started the, the first um, wildlife program at Wisconsin. And so yeah. you started... States started getting, um, professional management where the hunter didn't have to self-regulate as much. Cause now we have regulations that say, Hey, you can only take this much, but that, you know, the essence of the hunt and doing it right. And giving the, I mean, fair chases, you know, how can you have a fair chase when you have a gun? Um, you know, the definition is the animal has, has the opportunity to beat you. Is what yeah. the the idea was. It's yeah. I mean, look opportunity at, of escape, right? And that that is the fair aspect.
1: And so, like hunt. some some places where there would be no opportunity of escape would be like uh, an animal crossing a river, and you're in a boat. Yeah, and you know this. We've all seen pictures of like deer swimming across a river and like a boater just kind of like being
4: up beside it and like videoing it like Mm -hmm. you could kill that animal right or or in an enclosure in an enclosure that that is kind of the basis and so there were certain things that were were just too easy and then now we have a lot of talk of technology and you know i mean the the basis of you know how far is too far how far is long-range shooting that's a very hard number to to come up with but at the same time if you're if you're deadly to 2000 yards does that animal really ever have the ability to detect you does he have a chance of eluding you if you're using that technology so that's what we're in now but this gets back to what you and I were discussing earlier with the bears dogs are not an unfair chase thing i mean that's the right, culture right. that's 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 what you know i mean the bear hunters of the east i mean the the hunter heroes of the day were dog hunters i mean it was yeah. but it comes to a point where what Boone and Crockett said historically when we made this rules was the the actual radio collars. Yeah. So you you'd have your antenna and you'd run your dogs, and if you know you didn't get the bear or the cat or whatever you were on, you'd lost the dog, you could turn on that radio collar and find that dog, which is, you know, again, you're not you're not using it for the hunt, you're just maintaining your dogs. I mean, clearly they're part of the family and they're bloodlines and they're, you know, highly respected. I mean, you don't want you to just lose them. Well, with the invent of you know, GPS, GPS. callers. Um, you've got real-time location now, see, of your dogs. Let's stop
1: right there. From so, with the old radio telemetry callers, that is a lot of the ways that guys used them anyway. Right. Like back in the... So, but GPS came around, I don't know, in the last 15 years, maybe not even that long. Yeah. Because when I was, when I was a kid in the 90s, coon hunting, all the big wigs, which I was not one, had a... Uh, telemetry and you'd put the collar on the dog but like once every five hunts you'd pull it out right because you wouldn't lose the dog right you'd always know where the dog was
4: and you'd so pull it out and turn it on and
1: beep, 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 and it would point to where right. the dog was
4: and at that time we said once that receiver gets turned on the fair chase aspect is over okay and okay. so that's what we did. Well, now you have the GPS collars that come in. That we have a question that say, were radio collars attached to the dogs when they were in? The answer is always, you know, well, 99 times out of 100, yes. yes. Um, were those collars used in the harvest of the game? And we get a lot of questions about this. Yeah. And, and what it comes down to is the essence of the hunt. Using dogs is fine. But you have the ability to kick out dogs, watch that GPS receiver, and not actually participate in the hunt. Miss out on, on trailing the dogs, the, the physical aspect of it. And you can just wait until they're show intrigued and walk in. That is, that is using technology. I mean, you're not, you're not. and so we've said that is, that is the line that you can't cross. You can't use that technology to bypass following the dogs, keeping them in earshot. And it's, you know, you hear your dogs go over a ridge and you pull back to the truck and run around to the next ridge knowing the way you're heading. That's not a violation either. I mean, you, you physically heard them. You're like, okay, they're going here. That's part yeah. of the hunt. Uh, but it's once you lose the dogs and you're like, okay, well, we can't hear them. We don't know where they are. You turn on that receiver and like, oh, okay, they're over in that hauler or whatever yeah. part of the country you're hunting. That's where it crosses a line. And that's what we're asking people is, you know, if you wouldn't have turned on the callers you know, could you, were the dog, were they in earshot? Would you have been able to follow them? Were you on foot? Were you, you know, on, in a vehicle trying to follow them on the ridge, listening down in these canyons, trying to stay with them? And we get, we get a lot of questions about that. And it's, you know, it's no, we don't want you to put your dogs at risk. Yes, we understand that there's wolves on the landscape and, you know, but, but the essence of the hunt, you're not following technology. You're actually following the dogs and engaged.
1: Yeah. You know, that's, I guess the, the thing for a houndsman to take away was that if they were in a situation where they were you know wanting to put an animal in the in the in the book, they would do that you know, the, the way these guys use the collars, especially in hilly terrain, is man, they're not using them like that I yeah mean, do you know what i'm I'm just being honest with you, oh yeah, no it, it, I mean like because you just like a bear. Man, I've been uh, I have been seen the actual Garmin data of a bear that ran thirty six miles mm-hmm. in a day of running. Um, well, dogs, you know, I mean, the, like a dog that right. were tracking the bear. The dog was tracking the bear, but a bear race that went that far. And man, that's that's tough. And now you know, used to when they didn't. I mean, they did it before they had GPS. It was just a lot harder. And that's the tough part is that it's like when technology jumps up like that and it's legal, it's hard not to – it's hard for guys to want to, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of like traditional archery. Right. It's kind of like here you can use a rifle or you can use the trad bow. Mm-hmm. Very few people are going to use a trad bow, you know, when they can use the rifle. But I like I like that you have a, a a way and a clear description for for people to um, understand how they could fulfill the requirements of Boone and Crockett. You know,
4: yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing on that too is, you know, yeah, it's harder. But again, the, the animal—it's okay to not get your bear. You know, and I yeah, and I struggle yeah. with this, and we all do. We all come out on a hunt. We're all got these things and. You have to remind yourself the animal has a fair chase to escape if you're doing it right. That means he's gonna win. And you yeah. you're not always gonna come home with meat. And again, you said it, we're sport hunters. You've yeah. always got to remember this that yeah, through technology and and everything you can do, you can pretty much guarantee a kill. I mean, yeah, you know, for the right amount of money and equipment, put yourself in the right place. Yeah, you can you can do that. And that's is that really what we do this for? I mean, now, I I I would disagree with
1: the that the technology would guarantee the kill in in the in the, this like turn, let's say you turn your dogs loose, turn loose. The I guess I guess the technology is I'm, I'm working through this just in my head. I guess the technology is um, is just helping you find your dogs because like you could turn them loose and the dogs could be treed eight miles away, three hollows over. And I mean, they caught the bear, you know, I mean, the the bear, Mm -hmm. but then it takes you, you know, till dark to find them. Right. If you're just listening by ear, you know, and then, so you go in and you can't, you can't take the bear, you know? Um, So I guess, you know, it's, it's, and I guess that goes back to the essence too of the houndsman is is the hounds are doing the work, and that's where it's a little bit of a, right. You know, it's like those guys aren't those guys aren't interested in killing the bear. No, they're no. interested in the dogs doing the work and killing the bear. And so I guess that's where it's a fine line because the technology is just helping you follow the dog. Now in an outfitted hunt, like where this guy has no connection to the to the dogs, and he's literally just interested in killing an animal. Right, we that's not a bad thing. Nope. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like that guy's different than the guy that's raising those hounds. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. It's it's a big ask to like say, don't use make this like twenty times harder. You know. Anyway, I'm just thinking, man. No, it it, it, it is. It is. It's a squabble. You know, what's cool about Boone and Crockett is that you guys are trying to be relevant inside of changing times, which Mm -hmm. we all are. Uh, I love it that what you just said, I think, is the thing to key in on is that using dogs. Because I think sometimes people might think that other people, if if you were looking at hound stuff from like a persecution mentality, which sometimes we do. Right. It's not the hounds that make – the hounds are absolutely – I mean, you guys recognize that houndsmen are incredible. I mean, they are outdoorsmen. They are – They are. I mean, like, it's not the hounds that would make something not fair chase. Right,
4: exactly. The technology. Yep. And,
1: and, and that's one that – I mean, some people are going to listen to this and say, ah, oh, that's bull crap. Some people are going to listen to it, and I hope they just understand the intent. You guys' yeah. intent is to protect – the fair chase aspect of the sport. And whether you agree with the technicalities of what you come up with, that's kind of irrelevant. The idea is that we do have to protect fair chase.
4: Yeah, you can't, you know, what's the statistic? 72% of the population doesn't hunt but supports it. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest thing is that's where the fair chase thing comes in. And, and in my opinion, which, you know, not, not the club as a whole, but me personally, I mean, that's our biggest fight. We yeah. have to conduct ourselves ethically and, and police ourselves. We can't be doing things that, that the lay person finds offensive, you know, and, and justify it in our own mind. We need to say, you know, what, what is too far? You know, what is, what is the line that that no longer the animal has a chance to escape you know where where are you where are you sacrificing wood woodsmanship for technology you know and i mean and now that's a booger because
1: you i don't know if you've heard me say it before but when guys start dogging on me about baiting bears i go okay you take me with a bucket full of bait and a bow and arrow and you go with onyx hunt maps this is like an Onyx commercial because basically I'm equating Onyx to be in (laughs) like using technology. I mean, holy smokes, these new technologies. I mean, you're kidding yourself if you don't think that it's incredible. I I mean, being able to mark waypoints across canyons and to be able to go into these deep places. I mean, like me hunting the West, not being familiar with this. For me being able to turn on the little track thing track <laughs> and to track myself and to know how to get back out of there now that that's no, no, a it, that's a booger because that that is massive tech and I'm not I'm saying use the heck out of it but right. I'm saying you know just like anything in life, you know you have to draw the line and then when you draw that line, there's a way to go well, if that's on that side of the line, then that's oh, yeah. on that side of the line too. And, and, you, and you can't you can't win it. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Yeah.
4: You know, and I mean, I, I dealt with that. I was in um, Arizona. I had a buddy with me that he just was long for the ride. He wasn't a, you know, he's not a big hunter. I mean, he's hunted, but he's just more up for an adventure. And so we drive down there and get down there in the area that I'd scouted online. It wasn't as good when we got boots on the ground. So we're going to this new area. And, you know, I'm watching my GPS, I'm watching OnX, I'm watching everything. I know the elevation that deer are going to be at. I know what I've looked at ahead of time. And I'm 100% dialed in on this. And I get to this spot and we're going to camp here and, you know, whatever. And sure enough, we find deer the next day, kill a nice buck, you know. And we're driving out, and there's somebody set up long range shooting with a tent, and they got their gun and their rangefinder. And I start grumbling about, oh, that's not fair, chance. you know, a little bit judgy. And uh, my <laughs> Can buddy, you get that way, Becca. My buddy looks at me and he goes, oh, okay, Mr. GPS, Onyx, everything. And, you, and it made me think about it. And that yeah, and yeah. that's all people really need to do, too. I mean, yeah. clearly don't break any laws. Like yes. that, that's not ever okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's a personal choice. And, yeah. and, if the country you're in is, you know, you don't feel like it's, it's making it too easy, you know, that's fine. But there's, I mean, you know, the, the old bear hunting term, classic a garbage bear. You go to a garbage dump, there's going to be a bear there. Yeah, that's, I mean, not a guaranteed kill, but you're greatly upping your odds and taking a shortcut. Some people are okay with it. Some people aren't. Yeah. That's that personal decision well, of you fair know, chase. Fair,
1: Ch- fair chase goes beyond the law
4: a hundred percent hunting
1: hunting ethics goes beyond what is legal and um uh, and i think all of us have a way inside of our own i mean everybody knows their own unique challenges like i know what i'm up against when i come to montana on a bear hunt and i choose to make the weapon not the limiting factor right <laughs> i carry a rifle yeah that will shoot a long ways i mean for me a long ways mm-hmm. Um. hmm. For me, that is that is enough restriction that that bear has a lot of chance to get away from me, and he does most of the time.
4: Well, you know, the other thing, I mean, I always tell bow hunters, I go, there's, there's no rule that says you can't shoot a bear in bow range with a rifle. You know, yeah. all, all the bears I've killed in Montana have been less than 20 yards. Every I, single I'm one doing of them. it wrong, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, and and I, I've taken longer shots on things and I, and some of my biggest regrets and some of them were very successful, good long shots, but looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, I should have tried to get a little closer, given that critter more of a chance to detect me. Um, you know, but again, it's a personal thing, and you're thinking about it. That's the other yeah. thing too. I mean, if you're out there consciously being like, "Is this legitimate? Am I am yeah. I giving the animal the respect it needs?" You're you're in the right mindset. Yeah, if if yeah, you yeah. find yourself slightly to one side or the other of a fair chase requirement for record book entry, that's not that's not the end of the world. That that's just be thinking about it. Are you respectful? Are you, are you treating this animal with the respect it needs? I mean, they faced extinction. I mean, everything we've dealt with, we're in time now. I mean, how do you sell fair chase to somebody, you know, on the East coast that, that the deer are overrun and they can't kill enough? You know, how do you, how do you tell them that this nuisance that are overpopulated and, you know, have disease issues and are causing accidents? How can you explain to them that the way that we hunt that matters? It's a tough time, but you know,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we've got it we we have to be concerned with optics we um, inside of modern times you know so like if things and not that we base our lives off perception, I mean some people will never understand why we would kill a wild animal and I mean we're not going to stop killing wild animals just because somebody thinks it's bad like we know the science we know we have the history we know the quality of the meat we're not so there's some things that you don't use that evaluator for, you know, like right. public perception. Some, mm-hmm. some things are just like, this is just who we are. If you don't like it, you're going to have to figure out another way to look because this is what we're going to be doing. But the, there's the other side of it where, yeah, we have to massively be concerned with optics. So that's where you get into those gray areas of technology. Yeah, And I think we have to be we have to tell the narration of why and how we're using those things in the right way. I mean, like, you know, somebody could hear that, you know, such and such took a 530-yard shot at a bull elk. Well, maybe that's not the part of the story that you put on Instagram. Right. Maybe the part of the story you put on Instagram is that you hunted for six days and you passed up smaller bulls and you you know camped on the landscape with your dad and mm-hmm. your son you see what i'm saying i mean like sometimes the these things are you know it's
4: it's all about the way the story's told you know too well and it's the way you think about it i mean again with your example there that shot distance that makes it about you not the animal that's right I mean when when, that's right. when when your picture has a little sign you're holding up with a distance it's a target you've 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 reduced that animal to yeah. nothing it's about you and it's yeah humans inevitably it's going to be about them but at the same time man that's you got to you got to remember that you're you're just participating in the food chain yeah you know it's it's not just participating about participating in the food chain it's not just about you it's like it, it's about the animal it's about the experience it's about <clears throat> you know, the, the random rock you find or that this cool little weasel that runs up on the you know stump next to you and, you know, runs across your leg. I mean, that's, that's all part of it. It's not, you know, I have the ability to deliver a shot at 530 yards on a bull elk yeah. that you you've, you've minimized the whole experience. And I don't even argue made it somewhat offensive to even those of us that hunt. Yeah. Like, you know, I, like I said, those longer shots, Put something on Facebook and one of my buddies messaged me, he's like, Oh, great buck, man. How far of a shot? And I was like, It was too far, you know, it was four hundred and seventy yards or something like that. And I go, But he goes, Why didn't you put that out there? And I "Because it's not about me. It's about this critter and the hunt and the the, the country we we're in and who I was with and you yeah. know the weather and all the adversity and the flat tires and all that you know, all the experience. Yeah. And it's like again, as long as you're analyzing what you're doing and deciding is it about you or is it about the animal? Again, your your mind's in the right place. Yes.
1: You know, I think what's beneficial about a conversation like this, Justin, is it—it it just gets it—it it gets your mind thinking in a certain way. You know, yep. It's, it's not about it's not about rules and you know, I mean, because we are specifically talking yeah. about some rules with Boone and Crocker, but but it's about, I mean, if nothing else, these—I mean, somebody's got to define fair chase. I mean, and and that's that's the controversial role that Boone and Crockett has taken for mm-hmm. the last 150 years. Yep. Somebody had to do it. Yep, there's a line in the sand. There, and and you know what? When when you have to draw a line in the sand, you're going to take some criticism. But mm-hmm. you guys are doing it, and you're in the arena, and that's what that's what's awesome. So yeah. I have, yeah, I think that's that's great. And so a conversation like this, I think, can. You know, there's certain people that are already thinking like this. The the challenge in modern times is to get the, you know, there, there's all in any group of people. There's always the core group of people, and then there's like the other eighty mm-hmm. percent. And the other other eighty percent aren't bad people. Right? It's not. It's not that they're they're just not into it as much as the twenty. You know, there's all any any group. You could take a classroom full of eighth graders, or you could take a a a church or you could take a this or that and like there always seems to be like it's like 80 20 well what we've got to do is make the whole thing saturated with like core philosophy does that make sense yeah so like get the common guy that just buys a hunting license and goes to camp for one weekend a year that dude is super valuable to conservation. 100%. Because he has purchased a hunting license. Mm-hmm. He is buying ammunition. He is contributing to Pittman Robertson. He's doing all the same stuff that me and you and Becker are doing. And he's a valuable contributor. But what we've got to do is is get those guys thinking for, for whatever space they occupy in the hunting industry, right. in the hunting world, not the industry, you know, to start thinking about these things and, and and I think that's how cultures shift like if, if we're trying to shift the hunting culture to this more thoughtful intentional um, grateful group of people that can really explain our story yeah in a real authentic human way then conversations like this are good it just gets people thinking in a certain vein
4: well you know the other the other thing to think about too that we that we have is you know Boone and Crockett the minimum entries are most people are never going to see that. But that doesn't mean that you can't hunt a fork and horn with fair chase mentality. Yeah. We fight that a lot. And you know, you even said it, you know, well, if you're trying to get something in the book, it doesn't matter about the book. doesn't matter about anything. It's the ethic that you go out there. And that's what, what our mission is from the ethics side of things, no matter what you're doing, you've got to, you've got to be thinking about the how it's not just, yeah. you know, and yeah. Okay. You're, you're hunting this big bull and, you want to get it in the book and that'd be cool and that's a life goal and whatever, you know, sure. That, that's, that's fine. You know, that's, that's what keeps me in a job. But at the same time, man, you know, that same ethic should be applied to everything. I mean, it's, you know, my, my dad said it to me with a hunt all oh, over there. We're not shooting and deer. we use radios cause it's legal in Oregon. Well, no, no, it doesn't matter if you're the best deer you're going to see is 140 inch deer, 120 inch deer, or an 80 inch deer, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's every, Everything we do, it and you know you you. I just read that article that you had the, about Mr. Eldridge that you did that interview your, yeah. new, your newest bear hunting magazine. I was reading that, and you can see it in him. It's 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 classy. It's it, there's a way to be yeah. a hunter, a respected hunter. Treat the wildlife. You know, work on your skills. Sacrifice success sometimes. Yeah, you yeah. know your your Instagram following may not appreciate you as much as if you only have one or two kill photos a year versus twenty. But at the end of the day, the class that you're that you're putting out, and and who you are, and how hunters are viewed, it's far more important that you worry about the why or the the why and and whatnot more than yeah you know the end result. Yes, that's good, Becca. What do you think?
3: No, I think it, I'm just thankful that you gave us time to talk about, or gave Justin the time to talk about this because it's really important stuff. And when uh, Justin
1: talks, you're talking. <laughs> I know you taught him everything that he knows.
3: <laughs> yeah. uh, I wish. Um, but yeah, it's just really important for hunters to keep this in the top of their mind, I think. And I think it's just to be aware that this is, you know, probably integral to the future of our sport too. And, yeah. and,
4: and the future of wildlife. I yeah. mean, if if hunting goes away, that's that's a lot of dollars that are not going to our wildlife. Yeah, You know, and we talk about funding of the North American model and everything, and we we need to do some work. I mean, there's a lot of uses and a lot of wildlife and a lot of folks out there now that maybe aren't paying their fair share of hunting, but, you know, that hunting does. But at the same time, man, hunting goes away. Dude, all your, you know, state wildlife management areas, all these things that fall under the umbrella of the, the game agency, that's gone, you yeah. know? And so it's not just... Oh, I'm entitled to this, or oh, I, you know, this deer is on my property. I don't have to buy a license. No, man, this is the whole system that built the wildlife we had and built the country yeah. we had. So, yeah, yeah,
1: excellent. Becca, closing closing thoughts. I'm. What all, did you? All's all on my brain is and, spring
3: bear turkeys, is it? Because turkeys keep kicking my butt this season, so I just <laughs> got, got this chip on my shoulder, you, on my shoulder.
1: Are you letting the turkeys <laughs> determine the? Uh, the uh, fair chase of these hunts, just by how good they are. Oh, they're they keep beating. So you.
3: intelligent. I just. <laughs> I need some unfair advantage. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. You need some uh, dogs with radio collars. Something. Yeah. <laughs> turkey dogs. <laughs> uh, yeah. it Turns out I'm a really bad turkey hunter, but Dustin got one, and it was delicious. And now I really want another one. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, you got a
1: little bit of time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. See.
4: Yeah. Mm. More meat on a bear.
3: And more being a bear. Yeah, our bears are just starting to get cranking here, I think. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to some sunny weather and some bears on the hillsides.
4: Yeah, yeah. A couple dozen ticks a day.
3: Yeah, well,
1: there's that. Permethrin. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yes. yep. You got to hit it. I I did. I do pretty good with that stuff. Well, thank you guys so much. And, um, you know, I, I always say that uh, sometimes people don't see the relevancy in joining organizations. You know, it's just like, well, I'm mm-hmm. not. It's just, you know, I don't know. They just let things lapse. And part of our, I think part of our uh, responsibility as inside of Hunters is, is being uh, financial contributors and just being team players. And I think that's why it's important to be like, be a member of the Boone and Crockett Club. Be a member of Sportsman's Alliance. Um, you know, there's certain groups. And not, you know... I know how humans work I know how I work you know I can't be a member of like 30 organizations I'm just not that well organized right (laughs) but man pick three organizations and be dedicated to them for the rest of your life and that those organizations could change over time but you know the guy that I meet that's a big hunter and is not a member of something I'm just like dude you're just that's just irresponsible yep it's not that hard and it's it's like, and to me, that's the that's the place where, if we're a minority of people, which we are, I mean, hunters are like four point five percent of the U.S. population, yeah. something like that. I mean, we're 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 the minority in in in, in the activities that we do. Um, you got to be on your A game if you want to stay relevant. Yep. And to me, that means A game means strong unification. And that strong unification comes inside of being members of stuff, you know. And I always talk, I always talk about the Sportsman's Alliance. I think they're a great group. I talk about Boone and Crockett. And I talk about all the state associations that you could be members of that are defending the rights of what you like, whether it's a bear association in your, in your state or, or, or there's innumerable nonprofit hunting conservation organizations.
4: Mm-hmm. Um but well, be a the, member and those that you're a member of stay engaged stay engaged. I mean be, be be the expert when a conversation on something that you're passionate comes up about don't be ignorant to what's going on and these organizations these publications all this stuff I mean that's that's what we're driving to do Here's the conservation issues here's what we need to do here's our concerns you know so be a member and stay engaged with it you know yeah. and, and you have a question to ask we love questions so yeah. yep. All right, well, thank you guys
1: so much. Great conversation. Thanks again,
4: Clay. Always enjoy it. Yes, well,
1: keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. (laughs) And the muskox. And the wolverines. And the weasels.
0: You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own well head over to land.com they've got ranches forests mountains streams you name it search by acreage you can search by location you can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of land.com it is where the adventure begins After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, Wild Game Recipes for the Grill, Smoker, Campfire, and Camp Stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with aji verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire-charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.